0: Last week, uh, Bernie preached for us, did a great job, but he quite vocally announced that I did not announce him. I wanted to explain myself. Bernie, I believe you're just such a household name that you need no introduction. I think everyone in Chelmsford probably knows who you are, probably Westford and Tingsboro too. Uh, There's one thing I've learned from living in Massachusetts, it's that we we love our people, we love our Bostonians, we love our local people, we love those people that kind of represent us and that are from here. Uh, now this is, this is not a recent phenomenon, according to Boston Magazine, they, they call John and Abigail Adams Boston's original power couple. Closer by, the locals in Concord, they remind us that Ralph Waldo Emerson came from there. They're very proud of that. The Kennedys, John and Ted, they're both from here. They're, they're Beacon Hill royalty. How about Robert Frost? Robert Frost is a local. He, he came from Lawrence. Now, we also have uh, some humor in there. We have Conan O'Brien. Uh, he is a late-night talk show host, a tall, red-headed, funny guy. I like to think I'm kind of like him. (laughs) He is from Brookline. And we also have Aerosmith. He came from the area, but we don't really like to claim him. Uh, In a a video about this phenomenon, uh, a guy from Revere jokingly lists his top five favorite actors. He says, top five favorite uh, actors. Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, Mark Wahlberg, Cassie Affleck, Donnie Wahlberg, (laughs) because they're all locals, greatest actors ever. And if you're a sports fan, you you, you know who the greatest quarterback of all time is. We would all agree that it's Peyton Manning. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Tom Brady, goat, is that that the, the correct term? Almost to a fault, we claim these people As our own. We ignore kind of the blemishes, the mistakes, the deflate gates, because they're one of us. They represent us, and we wear that with pride. When people think of Boston, they think of Brady, they think of Wahlberg, of Damon, of Affleck, of Kennedy. See, they wear our name with pride, Bostonian, so we wear their name. With pride. We claim them as our own. We wear each other's name. Now, I don't think it's that different for the people of Israel. The people of Israel are the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, Jacob, God renamed him to be Israel, right? And he had 12 sons, the 12 tribes of Israel, the Israelites. They came out of Jacob, they wore their names. Now, in our point in the story, in Exodus chapter 28, they are at Mount Sinai. They are receiving God's law, God's commandments, how God wants them to worship him. And God is introducing a representative into the relationship. He's going to introduce a representative that, that represents God to the people and the people to God. I'm talking about the high priest, the high priest and the priesthood. Before we get into that, let me pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for Exodus chapter 28, 29, and 30. Would you open up to us what you want us to receive this snowy afternoon? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, the the high priest is a representative. He represents the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, He kind of bears their names before God. And in Exodus chapter 28, what our worship team just read, it, it goes through kind of the high priestly garb. And some of you, you know, younger, you kind of think, oh, this is boring. You know, this is like an Old Testament fashion show, not something I'm uh, really all that engaged in. But actually, through this high priestly garb, through these garments, this clothing, we find out how to have a relationship with God. See, it was the role of the high priest to represent the people to God, and those clothing items helped him do it. It was his job to intercede. That word to intercede means to speak on someone else's behalf. See, he's going to enter into God's holy presence, and so he has to clothe himself with symbolically holy garments. He offers sacrifices. We talked about that a little bit in communion. And then he enters into God's presence so we can go there. So I want us to walk through this kind of holy outfit. I've brought a a beautiful drawing here uh, of the, the high priest garbs. And in verse 2, it does start out by saying these garments are holy or consecrated. They're meant to be sacred garments that the high priest wears. And this is because where does God's presence dwell? In the most holy place. And if he's going to go into the holy place, he needs to be clothed in holiness, right? So uh, there, are, there are many different layers. The layer that we can't see is the linen undergarments, and that's where it starts at the base layer. God gives them linen undergarments, pretty much underwear, uh, to clothe themselves because many of the foreign cults would worship God through nakedness. They would kind of involved in their cultic practices. And so God's saying, you're going to worship me differently all the way from the base layer. On top of that, we see a linen tunic. So that's this, this white section. And you can see a little bit that it's checkered. So I kind of think of like argyle, a checkered pattern. I don't know if it really was the inspiration for argyle, but that's kind of what I think of. Uh, So we have a linen garment, and then we have an embroidered sash that goes on top of this. And it's made of blue, purple, and scarlet, and it's made of needlework yarn. So it's, it's, it's woven together. Now, the colors, blue, purple, and scarlet, they might not seem significant to you, but they actually match the colors of the tabernacle. Once again, he is kind of clothing himself in the tabernacle so he can enter into the tabernacle. Now, this this is where most of the priest's garments end. So most of the priests kind of have the the undergarment, the, the white linen garment, and the sash, and that's it. But we're looking at the high priestly garment. And next, we see a blue robe. Now, later in the, in the Old Testament, in the book of, I believe it is, uh, Numbers, uh, blue is used as a way to remind people of God's commandments, of the law. So I think here we're seeing, uh, even in the, the symbolism of the garments, that God is com- connecting obedience to commandments to holiness. You enter into my presence through the law, through keeping the law, through honoring the law. On top of this, we have what is called an ephod. There was much discussion uh, before the service, what is the correct pronunciation of ephod. We're going to go with what I just said. Uh, And on top of this, uh, this ephod is the same kind of material, there's blue uh, mixed into it. But on this ephod, on the top, there is uh, uh, two shoulder uh, stones made of onyx, made of black onyx. And we're going to come back to that in a moment. But at the bottom of his robe, there are some bells, kind of yarn. Uh, There's yarn pomegranates, and then there's golden bells. The pomegranates uh, remind us of Eden. Eden. They're a fruit. And later, uh, when they build the temple, King Solomon, he builds this temple, kind of the the next phase of the tabernacle, and he decorates it with 400 pomegranates on its pillars. It's pretty amazing. Uh, So it harkens back to the Garden of Eden and God's original holiness there with the people. But the bells... They're kind of as a signal. So you guys ever hear the bells around Christmas time? And immediately you know what that is, right? It's the bell ringers for the Salvation Army. They're they're raising funds. So when you were living in Israel at this time, if you heard the bells ringing, you would think, ah, the high priest is at hand. I should be reverent. I should be good. I should be nice. Not naughty. (laughs) Uh, You would think, ah, worship is at hand. I need to be reverent. Now, the ephod and the shoulder pieces, going back to the onyx stones, on each of the stones are written uh, the tribes of Israel. There's six on this side and six on the other side. See, the high priest is literally uh, wearing the names of the Israelite tribes into God's holy presence when he enters into the, the Holy of Holies once a year on the Day of Atonement. And on this, uh, this ephod, there is a breast piece, kind of a, a breastplate that has 12 different stones on it. And on each of these stones that we heard read is inscribed one of the, the tribes of Israel's names. So there's the, the, the names of the Israelites is inscribed twice on the high priest, for good measure, on the shoulders and on the chest. See, it's the, the high priest's job to represent the people. And he has the Urim and the Thummim. And, and those were, we don't really know exactly what they were, but we knew they were used for decision-making. So perhaps they were a black and white stone. But the, kind of the lesson to take away is, is that the people were bringing their decisions before God because they wanted God to be involved. And finally... The high priest wears a linen turban on his head. And on this linen turban, there's a gold plate that says, Holy to the Lord. See, if it's not obvious enough, he's saying, Holy to the Lord on my forehead. Now, notice what are we missing? There are no sandals. And this harkens back to Moses. At Sinai, when he first encountered God, what did God say? He said, you're on holy ground at the burning bush. Take off your sandals. You're encountering me. See, the whole thing, the whole garment shows kind of who God is. The God is a holy God. He's set apart. You have to treat God and worship God differently. You have to uh, take preparation when you encounter him. Think uh, like nurses and surgeons, when they enter into an operating room, well, they, they have the gloves and they wash themselves and they, they get the special gloves on and the, the special face masks because they don't want to spread the germs, right? They have to prepare themselves to enter into that, that clean place. Well, the high priest has to prepare himself to enter into God's holy place. But the interesting thing is that if you look at this passage carefully, God isn't just interested in outward cleanliness. God just isn't interested in in just what's going on on the outside. He's also interested in what is going on in the inside of the high priest. See, God wants the high priest to represent the Israelites personally. He's to represent these tribes in a personal way. Where, do, where are these names? First, the names are on the shoulder. What does that remind us of? As we carry something on our shoulders, when do we do that? When we're carrying something heavy. We're carrying like a backpack or a burden. See, there is a weightiness to going into God's presence. There is a weightiness to presenting the people of Israel, the tribe, before God. God wants them to remember that. There's an ark in the Holy of Holies, and that's, as Bernie explained, that's like the footstool. That's that's like the throne room. They're entering into God's throne room, and that is a special moment for the high priest. Now, you carry something on your chest, right? That's where all the other names are. You carry something on your chest if you want to kind of remember something from the heart, if it's something you care about, right? So like with the locket of a loved one, with a picture inside, we keep it near our hearts. Or we, we wear a necklace, something that we care about, that's given to us. Exodus 28, uh, verse 29 uh, says, says this. One more. Whenever Aaron enters the holy place, he will bear the names of the sons of Israel over his heart on the breastpiece of decision as a continuing memorial before the Lord. See, this job, being the high priest, it requires strength, but also heart. It requires uh, courage, but also love. See, they're to represent them in a personal way. Pastor and author uh, Murray Capil writes, In Hebraic thought, the heart is the core of our entire being. It is the center and soul of who we are, comprising the seat of all of our thoughts, feelings, and actions. The heart is the real us. In other words, the heart is not necessarily what we think of it, like Valentine's Day, all the, the mushy gushy feelings, the emotions. It includes that, it includes emotions, but it also includes uh, thoughts. And actions, it includes everything. It's the real you. It's the soul. So God is saying, you're you're representing these people from the inside out. It needs to not just be an outward, formal, kind of religious attitude that the the high priest is taking. It needs to be a personal, intimate, real, genuine love for his people uh, from the very depths of who he is. The heart needs to motivate the task, the center. As a teacher, Monica gets to have uh, parent-teacher conferences, and maybe some of you are teachers and you know what that is like. Uh, The parents come in, and what do they do? They represent their children. Monica represents a student, but the parents, when they come in, they're they're representing more than just a student. They're, They're representing the people that they care about, that they love, their sons, their daughters, They don't want just, you know, to get this meeting over with. They want to see their children succeed and grow. And how can we best prepare for their needs? Because they love them. That's the kind of high priest that God is interested in having. Someone who cares intimately for his people. And I'll be honest with you guys, that's the the kind of pastor I want to be. I want to care for you from the heart. I don't want this to be just an outward thing. And right now we're beginning to look for our elders for Cornerstone who are going to be your leadership team in just a few months, Lord willing. And I want them to take this kind of attitude too. I want them to take an attitude of of representing the people from a place of love, from a place of uh, a true desire to represent people well, to represent this church well to God. Now, the high priest It's to be a personal representative, but also a sacrificial representative. Chapter 29 describes the sacrifices that Moses has to make to consecrate the high priest. He sacrifices a bull. He sacrifices two rams. He puts the blood of the bull and and the rams on the right earlobes of Aaron and his sons, the earlobe, the right thumb, and the right toe. It's kind of reminding them this is a whole life thing. And then for the next seven days, they keep sacrificing bulls. And then they they keep sacrificing every morning and evening a year-old lamb. And this doesn't go on for seven days. This goes on for generations. Every day, wake up in the morning, sacrifice this lamb. Every day as you go to bed, sacrifice this lamb. It is costly to represent the people to God. It costs the life of lambs over and over again. But then this sacrifice gets personal. It gets personal for the high priest himself. See, the turban says, holy to the Lord, but this holiness comes at a cost. Exodus 28 verse 38 says this, it will be on Aaron's forehead and he will bear the guilt involved in the sacred gifts the Israelites consecrate, whatever their gifts may be. See, being a high priest isn't a sinless job. You don't become a perfect, a kind of a perfect individual just because of your job. In fact, just by being around that, you're going to incur guilt upon yourself just by the nature of the job. To put out a fire, what does a firefighter have to do? He has to get close to the fire. The firefighter may get burned. To get close, to, 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 to extinguish the flame of sin, what does the high priest have to do? He has to get close to the sin, get close to the people and their offerings. See, he takes a risk every day, just like firefighters. The sacrifice is personal and it's sacrificial, but it's worth it because he is bearing the names of the people to God. But this is not a good long-term solution because no matter how many flames you put out with a lamb, it just won't ever quench the heat of human sin. So human sin burns hotter and brighter than any animal could ever take care of. So you have to quench the thirst of human sin with human blood. And that's where Jesus comes into the story. This is why God sent us Jesus. Jesus bears our name. Jesus bears your name into God's presence, into God's holy presence. Now, when Jesus came to this world, he worked as a carpenter and then as a rabbi. But he also fulfilled another role. And it's not one that he was particularly recognized for as he walked on earth. But afterwards, he was recognized and called a high priest. Hebrews 8, chapter 1 through 2 says, or verses 1 through 2 says, We do have such a high priest, so Jesus, who sat down at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by a mere human being. See, after Jesus died and rose again, he went someplace. He ascended into heaven and we don't know exactly what this means because it's, it's put in our human language, but he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So he's sitting somehow next to his father. He is God, don't, don't mistake that, but he is, he is now on the throne. And what is he doing? He is representing us. He's representing anyone who puts their faith in him. He is interceding. He is speaking to God the Father on our behalf. See, Jesus intercedes for us, and he does so how? He represents us personally. He bears your name personally. He bears my name personally. In Revelation, there's a vision of the very foundations of heaven. And if you look at the very foundations of heaven, what are they made of? (laughs) They're made of Jasper, and sapphire, and agate, and emerald, and onyx, and chrysolite, and ruby, and beryl, and topaz, and turquoise, and jackath and amethyst. They're made of the exact stones. I think there's a little variation, but they're made of the same stones that we see on the high priest's chest. See, your name (laughs) is written in heaven. Jesus bears your name in his heart. On his heart... Jesus represents us personally to God. See, I believe the Scriptures through the story of the Bible tell us something very amazing. That Jesus, at the very core of his being, at the very kind of central area of who he is, he loves us and he cares for us and he wants to represent us well. And if your name is on Jesus' heart, this, may, this means that your name is on God's heart. And think about that. If your name is on God's heart, then God at his very core cares about you. And we can know this for sure. If you have confessed your sins and put your faith in Christ, it says that, 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 that Jesus He died for you. He, he loves you. God cares about you at his very being, and and Jesus is representing us to God. There is so much value in that. I want you to imagine with me uh, for a moment that you get tickets to the very first Patriots game uh, this fall. Uh, So you're going to the game. You're excited uh, you're, the whole The whole stadium is like noisy because they know that Tom Brady is going to come out, and everyone 's waiting and it 's getting louder and louder, and people are chanting, Brady, Brady and finally he comes running out. This is his first game playing with five Super Bowl wins, and everyone 's roaring they 're standing on the, their feet, and you look up at the jumbotron and it zooms in on Brady. And you see something that's off. You see something that's just a little bit wrong. You look at his jersey and you see the number 12. But then right above that, you see a different name. And you're confused for just a moment. And then you realize, that's my name. Tom Brady is wearing Coughlin, Enganus, Rawls, Boucher, Kingsbury, Moyer. Now, you have your own name in this. You don't have to list like 12 names. But you realize, wow, Brady is wearing Romick. Brady is wearing Pelletier. He is wearing my name on the field. And notice he is not wearing Isles because this does nothing for you. You're not from here. (laughs) In your imagination, Drew Brees is on the field, and uh, he's wearing uh, your name uh, on it. Can you imagine if Tom Brady bore your name? We have someone who bore our name who is much, much more valuable than Tom Brady. He is the high king of heaven. and He bears our name to the Father every moment of every day. That's how much God cares for us. He has sent his son on that mission to do this for us. Jesus cares for us personally. He bears our name. But he also does so sacrificially. See, Jesus represents us with with everything he has, 1 Peter 2.24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Jesus bears our sins in his own body and his own blood. When Tom Brady's jersey got stolen, I, I heard it was like worth like $500,000 and everyone was freaking out. Oh no. You're way more valuable to God. You're you're worth the very life of his son. Man. See, through the cross, Jesus becomes a sacrifice, but a personal sacrifice, a sacrifice that's also a substitute, a substitute for anyone who is willing to say, I'm going to confess my sins. I'm going to put my faith in Jesus. Jesus becomes your substitute. See, he bears our guilt and we bear his holiness. He bears our sin-stained names, Jonathan, that has sin wrapped into it. He bears that name on the cross, and he gives us a new name. He gives us the name of Christ, of Christians, right? Now, this holiness is not just symbolic like it was for the high priest in his garments. This holiness is real. It's true. On my worst day, on my most sinful and my most despicable day, what counts is Jesus, not me. Uh, If you were outside playing uh, tag football, you would want Tom Brady to play in your place if you could, wouldn't you? (laughs) Well, every single day of our lives, if you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, Jesus goes onto the field and he has played it perfectly for us already on the cross. And we get, to, we get to enjoy all of that. <laughs> it's, it's like, so you, uh, you know, Brady's wearing your name, but then he also comes up to you after the game, uh, and he, he wants you to join in the celebration. He wants you to join in the confetti, join in the party, and then he gives you the jersey, and he gives you his five Super Bowl rings and just says, here, have all of this. That is what Christ has done, but way better for you and for me. See, we don't ride with Brady, we ride with Jesus. We walk with him, and Jesus sits at the right hand of the throne of God. You know what the benefits are of Jesus bearing our name? They're, They're limitless. When you feel sinful and when you feel dirty, Jesus bears your name. When you feel hopeless and you feel depressed, Jesus bears your name. When you're wrestling with questions about whether this thing is true, uh, you know, you, you, you put your faith but you have doubt, Jesus bears your name. When your parent dies or your friend dies, Jesus bears your name. When you're struggling financially or you're worried about your housing situation, Jesus bears your name. When you need to ask God for forgiveness because you've just blown it or when you need to ask someone else for forgiveness, Jesus bears your name. When you're struggling with an ugly divorce, Jesus bears your name. When you're struggling with sexual immorality, Jesus bears your name. When you don't know who you are or what you want to do with your life, Jesus bears your name. No matter what you're going through, If you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, Jesus is bearing your name right now in heaven before the very throne of God. Jesus bears your name. Jesus bears my name. Jesus bears your name on his heart. If you don't know Jesus yet, I I want you to experience this. I want you to know what it means to have Jesus bear your name. Coming to Christ It's not complicated, but it's very difficult. (laughs) So you have to humble yourself and say, I'm a sinner. I'm broken. I need to be saved from something like sin. I'm I'm broken. I need a sacrifice because I'm just not good enough. I'm not Brady. But boy, the reward of that... (laughs) The reward of that is Jesus bearing your name. When you confess and you put your faith, the reward is Jesus bearing your name every day before the Father. This is the gospel. This is the core, the heart of what Christianity is. And it calls for a response, it calls for a moment of belief, of trusting in Christ. The interesting thing in the book of Exodus is that it also calls for a response from Christians. In Exodus 19, it calls you know, the, the, the nation of Israel to be a nation of priests, right? A priesthood. See, they're to go out and they're to take the name of God to others. And as Christians, we're to take the name of Christ to others as well, to our neighbors, to our friends. See, whose name do you bear now? This is the response, See, if Jesus is our high priest, we're called to be (laughs) mini-priests. We're called to be sent out into the world to pray and to intercede for others, for our family members, for our neighbors, for our loved ones, for those that we don't like very much. And we're to do this personally. So whose name are you personally bringing before God's throne? We should all be doing this. Are Are you bringing the names of your children? Great. Your, your, your parents, your, your siblings, your, your neighbors, your your coworkers. are you bearing their names before the throne? At Cornerstone, one of our ways that we want to do ministry is called as a priesthood of believers. This comes straight from the Bible. And that means we all want to be involved in the ministry of Cornerstone. That means we all want everyone bearing the name of Christ through this ministry through here at this building and kind of as we work together in the community, but we also want to be bearing the name of Christ every single day of our lives. Monday through Friday, Saturday and Sunday too, we're bearing his name every single moment. If you don't have a list of people that you're intentionally bearing the name of Christ to, that you're praying for, that you're interceding for, I want you to, to challenge you to, to make the, that a list. You can look in the bulletin and there's this this thing called the top ten most wanted. It's ten names of people that don't know Christ that you know that you're praying for. Maybe it's, you know, the Starbucks lady and I really need to learn her name. But you can be praying for ten people easily. We represent others personally. We also do it sacrificially. See, it's a sacrifice to bring others before God, isn't it? It's a sacrifice to our hearts because when we begin to pray for those around us and and represent them before the throne, before Christ, we're giving them a little bit of our hearts. That means we're opening ourselves to disappointment, to frustration. It costs, doesn't it? It's a sacrifice to represent others personally. I want us to think as we head towards Easter how we can make personal sacrifices to represent others before Christ, to bear others' names. Maybe on your ride to work, instead of, you know, listening to NPR or sports radio, you can pray for your top ten or say the Lord's Prayer and lift up your community, lift up your coworkers. If you didn't participate in the frontline ministry weekend, well, you can still do that. It doesn't have to be in March. It can be in April. You can invite someone over to your house, someone uh, from your, your gym or your office, and just have an evening with them. That's a sacrifice. That's difficult. This Friday night, you can sacrifice by coming to As We Forgive and inviting a friend, bringing a friend along, giving up your Friday evening for for God. On Easter, you can can sacrifice your pride (laughs) and and invite uh, uh, someone to, to church. We're doing a big day. That means it's a special service kind of designed for newcomers. We're kicking off a new series. This isn't easy. This is a personal sacrifice. It's a cost. I know it's hard, right? But it's supposed to be hard. If it's not hard, then it's not a sacrifice. We're to bear the names of others before Christ, and it's supposed to be difficult. You know why we do this? It's because Jesus bears your name. Jesus bears my name. Jesus is my high priest. Jesus is your high priest. Now, I'm not much of a sports fan. I think that it's the longest. Uh, sports illustration I have used in the one and a half years of this church plant. I'm proud of myself. But I do enjoy watching the Olympics. Last summer, uh, Brazil hosted the, the Olympics in Rio de Janeiro. Uh, and Did you know that we, had, we have several Olympians, but I wanted to highlight one Olympian in, in particular, Ali Raceman. She is from Massachusetts, and uh, she was raised in Needham. And she attended Needham High School. And she won, uh, she won multiple medals, but she won the silver uh, in the women's floor exercise and the individual all around. And then she also won gold as part of the women's uh, like USA team. I think it's great when someone from Massachusetts represents kind of the, the natural ability we all have here as uh, athletes. Now, her, her victories, her, her gold came at a personal cost and a, 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 a sacrificial cost. She's been doing gymnastics since the age of two. She's been injured. She's dedicated thousands of hours of her life to this sport. Leading up to the Olympics, she did two a day. She traded twice in the morning for four hours and, uh, tw- and then in the afternoon for two and a half hours. She only ate veggies, lean meats and whole grains, no processed foods. That's a huge sacrifice. But because of this personal sacrifice, she represented us, she represented Needham, she represented Massachusetts, she represented New England, she represented the USA in the Olympics. When she stumbled, we stumbled. When she did a successful uh, double front su- somersault, we we did that. When she did a successful double backflip, we did that. When she won gold, we won gold. And when she stepped up onto the Olympic podium and our song played, uh, we stepped up. And it was our song too. She represented us. But when Allie Raceman, when she represents us, she may slip and fall. But the good news of the Bible is that Jesus never will. And Jesus is our representative. When he died on the cross, we died. When he rose, we rose. When he ascended into heaven, we actually ascended into heaven too. Spiritually, we're with him right now. When he sits next to the Father in heaven, that's where we sit. See, Jesus' victory is our victory. Jesus bears our name. This is the message of the gospel, and this message begins in Exodus chapter 28, even further back. Jesus is our high priest. He bears your name. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for bearing my name. Thank you for bearing the names of each and every one of us who knows you. I pray for those that don't know you that they would. I ask that you would bless this offering and uh, in our, our closing song. In Jesus' name, amen.